Bridging Chicago. Hello and welcome to this Bridging Chicago Extra. I'm Nathan, one of the hosts of Bridging Chicago, and I'm here today with Patty, who is a fundraising specialist at Greenlight Family Services. And Patty, we love talking to Greenlight, and so I'm so excited that you're here to join us today. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, um, we've been chatting a little bit as we were, we've been preparing for today, and I know that you have a special connection with Greenlight. Um, not just working there, but you're really passionate about what the organization does. Why are you so passionate about Greenlight and what is its heartbeat? What is it really about? I am passionate about Greenlight because we work with adoption with kids in the foster system and through DCFS and private adoption and I'm adopted. So I have a, a connection that way. Also, I used to work in the retail world doing events, and I worked with so many nonprofits that one day I went, I want to work for a nonprofit and something that wow. is meaningful to me personally. Yeah. So I got this opportunity to come to Greenlight, and I have met unbelievable families and heard all kinds of different stories and ways that people uh, work with adoption and are adopted, etc. And so it's close to my heart. Yeah, we, we were sharing, I'm also adopted, and we were sharing about how every adoption story is different and every story of a child who's been a part of the foster care system is different. And some of them are really great, like ours, that end up in adoption with great families. Um, some of them are tough. And um, there's a lot of children out there who either don't get adopted and they go through the system until they age out or, you know, go from house to house. Um, so why for you is it important to, to do this, not just because of your back, your, your history, but um, for those kids, the kids that, that are lost in the system, what is it about those kids that, that kind of makes this more important? Our goal is uh, to have a family for every child. Mm -hmm. That you know that doesn't always happen. Yeah. Uh, but that's our goal, and that's what we look for, and that's why we're always looking uh, where there's adopted uh, fam families who want to adopt, where there's people who want to foster. And we try to uh, work on those relationships because that is our hope that every child has a family. Every child deserves to have a family. Yeah, and Greenlight's been doing this for quite some time. And this has been such a big part of the community. Uh, I know that Greenlight is also in other areas here in Illinois. So it's really an Illinois organization that's working. Very much so. We're throughout the state now, mm -hmm. and um, I'm excited to say we have four offices. Yeah. Uh, so we can service in any county, and so that's exciting, and that's just uh, maybe in the last three or four years that we're all over the state, so we're excited about that. And uh, it, it's, it's obviously there's a need all over the state, all over the country. Greenlight has been around for quite some time and, and the work that it's doing has really grown over that period of time. I, I've been introduced to Greenlight for at least maybe around eight or nine years now and I know it's grown in that amount of time. So do you remember baby Greenlight and what that was like when it was getting started out and then how it's grown over these past years? Uh, we started in 2003. Next year's going to be our 20th anniversary. 
and so we're very excited about that. But I can remember our staff was six people, wow. and when we had a staff meeting or whatever, we all sat around the table and we all ate lunch together. Yeah. And it was, we had one social worker and one attorney, wow. and we had one of everything, and we wore different hats to help each other do yeah. different things. Now our staff is almost up to 40. Wow. And uh, we have several social workers. We have a legal department. We have a counseling department. We do uh, post-adoption services. We have an educational advocate who helps families uh, with their children in school doing individual mm -hmm. uh, education plans. Mm -hmm. uh, we have gone into um, counseling for uh, kids on college campuses uh, who have been sexually abused or have had uh, assault issues, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of counseling. So we've really expanded to help people in the whole family. I want to talk about mental health um, for a second here since you mentioned that because I think today mental health and the importance surrounding um, caring for your mental health is much more known than it was in the past. Very Before much. it was, there was a lot of shame. You know, if you saw a counselor, that meant that you were crazy or there was something wrong with you or you were maybe um, going to hurt somebody or yourself. Um, and now people are starting to understand that it's, it's good, it's important to care for your mental health. Um, and it's good to go to counseling even if you don't feel like there's a problem because there's always things that you can share with a counselor that you can get help with that you don't even realize are there. Um, in your perspective, how has that change in mental health been really good for people and especially young people, I think? Oh, I think it's been great. Um, the shame is taken out of it a lot of times, uh, especially kids in the high school and college realize that there is help and that it's not shameful and it feels better to yeah. talk to somebody. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we do that we're really proud of is the counseling we give these college kids are free to them for 20 sessions. Wow. And so that takes the... Uh, the monetary problem if they have one for that off of them and it's just really really helpful and the best advertising that we've had for counseling is by their word of mouth mm. and it's like anything else if you talk to somebody who's had some service that they feel good about yeah. and they tell somebody else about it that's the best advertising because they feel good about themselves or better about their problem etc yeah and I think that with I don't know if there's more going on in the world now than there used to be, but we certainly hear more about what's Definitely. going on because we have social media, we have Twitter. You can't go anywhere without getting the news. Before, if you wanted the news, you either had to read the paper or you had to watch TV at five o'clock, right? Now you can get the news whenever you want, wherever you want, right. even if you don't want it. Uh, more than you want. <laughs> right, more than you want, we'll say it that way. Um, and so there, it's certainly there's more known about what's going on in the world all over the place. And so I think that it, it can be a little suffocating to people who constantly hear, unfortunately, a lot of the sensationalized news is bad because that's kind of what makes the headlines. And so um, as people interact more with the news and interact even more with social media, um, have you seen the importance of services like green light counseling and other services become more important for especially young people. You were mentioning kids on college campuses. 
um, who are trying to sort of live in a world that is seems to be really tough now? We have seen more of that, and it's just out of the darkness. It's, it's yeah. in the forefront, and that's the best thing is that we can meet those needs and we hear more about the needs of people and we work toward that in helping them. Yeah. And that, that's true with counseling, that's true with mental health, it's true also with adoption. Mm. Um, the stigmas of all these things aren't really stigmas anymore. Yeah. They're out in the open and people are willing to talk about them and they even feel it's almost a badge of honor, like, wow, I'm taking care of myself. Yeah as opposed to uh, pushing it under the rug. Yeah, you, you did mention um, when you were adopted, it was a little more shameful Very for much so. uh, women to have to give their child's children for adoption because people would say, oh, you can't be a mother, you're not a, a, you're not a fit mother, or you know, it was, it was shameful for you to give your kid away at that time. Whereas now, um, I think people are recognizing that you're actually making sure that your child is getting taken care of. You're being a good parent sometimes when you give that child away because you're making sure that um, you're doing that in a situation where they can be cared for, be resourced, be educated, have a life that gives them hope um, when you're in a time and place when you can't necessarily provide that. That is for sure. When I met my birth mother, and I only met her one time, mm -hmm. uh, she still, 50 years later, was carrying so much shame. Wow. And I said to her, let's make a paradigm shift. Yeah. And let's talk about don't feel shame. You gave me a gift. Yeah. You yeah. gave me, you knew that you couldn't care for me for all these reasons. She was young and it was shameful and mm -hmm. all of that. And you gave me a chance to have a really good life. Mm -hmm. That's a gift. That's mm -hmm. not a stigma. It's really a, a big place to come to, to be able to think that way. Um, as I know with my adoption experience, one of the things is in my adoptive home, a lot of times I felt like I needed to work to make sure I earned my place there. Not because my parents made me feel that way, but any time that you've been taken out of your your birth family's home, it's like, well, okay, now I need to work hard to make sure I don't get taken out of this home too. Mm -hmm. And so to come to that place where you can say, no, you did what was best for me, and that is parenting at its best, I think it is huge. How do you get to that kind of place? Because it can be hard for people who are in that, that experience, who are either thinking about, you know, if they can care for their children or children who have been put up for adoption, when you're in that place, it can be hard to think that way or to believe that way. I think that's true. Uh, I did not come to that overnight mm -hmm. or right away. Mm -hmm. That was a journey. Um, I didn't think about it when I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, I can remember one time in my childhood, I got really mad at my mother for I don't remember what, yeah. and I screamed like at the top of my lungs, why don't you send me back to where I came from, it has to be better than this. Wow. And I can remember, I can feel it right this minute. Yeah. I can remember my mother picking me up by my clothes, by my shoulder, 
and holding me up and saying, you are ours, you belong here, wow. now you're grounded. <laughs> and that was, and I mean, that really, that's a 60-year-old memory maybe, yeah. 65-year-old memory. And that was so vivid to me. Yeah. That was such an assurance. I mean, ultimately I got punished for whatever I was doing, but it was like, no, it doesn't matter if you're adopted. You're part of this family. You're the same equal part of this family as your brother and your sister mm. who were birth children of my adoptive parents. Yeah. So we all were the same as far as that was concerned. And then um, just at different times in your life, I think that if you looked at like a flow chart, you'd see it going up and down. Sometimes it's really on the forefront of your mind and other times there'd be years when I didn't think about it. Yeah. Um, I know like searching for birth families today is much easier than when I started in 1980 when there was no computers, any databases, yeah, and, no you know, nothing like that. I could tell you such stories of making friends with librarians in the city that I came from, so they would look in phone books for addresses for me, yeah, and just yeah. crazy things. I would send gifts to people who I had met on the phone so they would like me, yeah. and then I could ask them information. I mean, it was crazy, yeah. but that's what you did yeah. to try to find out answers. And um, so sometimes that was important to me. When my children were young, it wasn't important. I was bringing up my family. Mm -hmm. Then as they went to school and I had more free time and I started thinking about it, here I have my own family. I want to know about my birth family. So it just depends on different times. Yeah. And um, even sometimes now it's totally not important to me. And other times it's on the forefront. It's like, I want to know more. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who uh, this weekend, just out of the blue, sent me a picture of my birth mother's restaurant. And I mean, it was just like totally random out of the yeah, blue. We yeah. were talking about it. She did. She just knew I had told her the story. Her boyfriend was from the same city I was, uh, my birth parents were from. Yeah. And so she was driving down the street and he, the, her boyfriend's parents said, this is where Patty's birth mother's family uh, used to have a restaurant. And she took a picture and I just, I sat and I looked at that picture for like 10 minutes. And then I went, okay, I'm done with that. And I went about yeah. it. So yeah. it's just, it's such an up and down kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, at some point you had to be okay with the thought that you may never meet her, right? Totally. You may never know who she is or you might find out who she is and she may no longer be with us. She, she may have passed. There, there's so many scenarios that you must have gone through your head that could happen if you found out who your birth parents were. I figured out who my birth mother was way before I figured out who my birth father okay. was. And I figured out who my birth mother was and then it was between two men. I, the information that I had and it took me a very long time to figure out and when I finally figured out who my birth father was he had died in his 50s very early so I had no chance to meet him yeah. and my birth mother truthfully went to her grave having shame Yeah. Um, I met her one time she made it very clear when I met her it was going to be a one and done okay um at the time, I started uh, my search in the early 80s, 
So this was in the 90s. And by that time, I had gone to some support groups uh, for adoption and how do you look for birth parents, Mm -hmm. etc. So I knew when I had gotten there, there were certain questions to ask her to keep her engaged, that kind of thing. And what was so interesting, and this is just my experience, not everybody's. She went from being really mean to really sweet. Mm. She would go, you're only safe for 10 minutes, honey. Yeah. I mean, it was really so both ends of the the scale at the same time. So it was really hard, like, you know, you just said something and you didn't really know how she was gonna respond. And so that was kind of interesting. she had told us we had a very limited time there. And as I kept engaging her and talking, she finally said, do you want to go out to lunch? And if I would have said to you an hour before that, she would have never said, do you want to go out to lunch? Yeah. So she became a little bit more comfortable. She showed me pictures of her subsequent children that she had. She never married my birth father. Okay. And so she went on to marry somebody else and have uh, two children. She showed me them as children. She would not show me them as adults. Okay. She didn't want anything of, yeah. like, today, I don't want you to know about us. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we went out for lunch, and she showed us pictures, and we did some more talking. And what I thought was really interesting, in my heyday, my hair was red, very bright red, and her hair was very bright red, and my daughter came with me who had long, beautiful red hair. So here's three generations of people with red hair sitting on the sofa, but she was so in denial that she said, oh, my brother's going to come over and pick something up, but when he comes over, I'm just going to tell him you're my friends. And then you just think like, uh, clearly, we're not just your friends. Yeah. I mean, and I look very similar to her, certainly as I get older. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, you know, are you really buying that in your own mind? Yeah. And she was. So it's yeah. just interesting. I mean, we, and then my daughter and I had talked later. We were hoping he, he never did come over, sure. but we were hoping that he would come over because I want to hear what his reaction is and go, like, well, who are you? And right. what's the story? And, right. you know, Why, yeah. but that didn't happen. Yeah. Wow. After all this, how did that make you feel about your your adoptive family and the, the really the only family you knew? Um, how did that make you feel about that situation and about the family that you had now? Um, I don't want to paint a picture that my adopted family was perfect. Mm-hmm. We were not. We were just a regular family, and we had our ups and downs, and I was not a very good teenager. I was kind of a wild person. (laughs) Um, I am more wild than my brother and sister. Um, So that kind of, it just shows you the difference of kind of nature and nurture. Uh, Did I feel a part of my family? A hundred percent. My parents acted like parents. It was never, except that one time, brought up, it wasn't used against me like, oh, well, you're the adopted person. Not at all. And, um, in fact, and today, again, it just shows you how different it is. I was maybe four, five, or six-ish, and I remember my parents giving me a book that I still have, and it was called The Chosen Baby. 
And I think what you did at the time is you sent in the facts about your family. So the book mirrored my family. My sister's wow. younger than me, so she wasn't in the book. And it, and they called everybody mother, dad, older brother, little sister, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was like, big brother was really glad that you were coming into the <laughs> family. I mean, it was really elementary. Wow. But that I remember sitting down with my family, and that was our discussion at that age. Yeah, yeah. And then I asked different questions growing up. And um, my parents, they didn't have any identifying information for my birth family, but they knew some information, what part of the country they were from, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so um, it never bothered my parents that I asked questions, but I didn't ask questions that often because... I, I felt stable in our family. Yeah, yeah. These are the kind of stories that Greenlight is helping to make happen more and more. That's for sure. And why the work is really important, um, but also will continue as long as the service is needed. Um, what is it about the staff at Greenlight that you find really special because I think it takes a very special kind of person to work for a nonprofit, um, to do this kind of work. Um, and I think that there are a lot of those people at Greenlight. Everyone that I have had the opportunity to meet um, has been amazing. And so what is it about the kind of person that is important to do this work and then about Greenlight's people that just make them really special? Well, I thought a lot about that at different times. And I think, especially in our world today, you hear so much information about the bad people in the world. Yeah. And yes, there are bad people in the world. Mm -hmm. But I have seen over and over and over again, story after story after story, that there are more good people. Yeah. And it, it's just, that's the exciting part to remind yourself not only within Greenlight, but within the world, there are more good people than bad people. Mm -hmm. And at Greenlight, I think you're drawn to, I think you're not drawn to this work unless you have a big heart. Yeah. And people come and want to work for us because they see what we do and that we don't just do it on paper. It's our heart. Yeah. And yeah. it's really about the relationships. Mm. And yes, our attorneys, for instance, do all the legal paperwork and they go with you to court, etc., that kind of thing. But they also come to your house and they meet your family and they talk to you. You're not a number on a piece of paper. You're a family member or you're the family that's adopting or whatever the situation is. Right. And that's what's so special. And one of the groups that I love working with that is so special to Greenlight, and it's not exclusive to Greenlight, but we work with a lot of grandparents these days mm -hmm. who are raising grandchildren. And not only do we have the heart, but these grandparents, I'm grandparent age, I have a grandson, I really can't imagine taking care of a two-year-old or a one-year-old right now. Yeah. I've done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these grandparents at all ages step up. Yeah. We have grandparents who are in their 90s who are bringing up teenagers. I can't imagine. Yeah. But you have to have a caring for people and a love 
for wanting to help somebody and make them feel comfortable in their life to want to do that at these yeah. older ages. So that's a really interesting segment of people we have. Um, our social workers, I think to go into social work anyway, you have to have a big heart yeah. and care about people. Yeah. And then to work in adoption and uh, educational advocacy and wanting to help children, that's just having a bigger heart. Mm -hmm. And again, they go out and they meet the families and um, we don't have anybody come to our office, not because we don't want them to come to our office, but we want to go to their environment yeah. where they're comfortable. We've met families in parks because they're more comfortable being in the park and letting their kids run around play right. while we talk. We've met in coffee shops. We've met in different group settings, things like that. We want the people to feel comfortable. And that's what I think is different about our staff mm. is the compassion that they really feel wanting these people to feel comfortable in their situations. And some of the situations are difficult. Yeah. It's not saying that it's all happy and smiles right. and all the time, but that's why we want them to feel comfortable so we can help them the best we can. Yeah. What do you hope for the future of Greenlight? What would you like to see it grow in? Like, what, what would you love to see down the road for Greenlight to grow, to, to be an organization that serves more and more people? My ultimate answer would be that there are no children who need to be adopted and have adopted and have a family, but that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but it's just to expand our services, and uh, the way we expand is we see a need and we go well. We can do that if we have a social worker who specializes in X, Y, Z. So let's go out and find somebody who specializes in what we need, and then we can offer those services yeah. because the people are there needing different services. And one of the things that I do as an outreach person when I speak to different groups is just educate the groups of what we do. People don't know that there's an organization that has yeah. things that will help them. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing that I hear at everything. Oh, you do post-adopt services? We didn't know that. Mm. Oh, you do this? We didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for mm -hmm. telling us that. Now we can use your services. Or a few weeks ago, I went to a senior walk and it was all grandparents, and a lot of them were pushing strollers and kids on mm. bikes and that kind of thing. And I was talking to one lady, and she says, oh, no, I don't need, I'm very lucky I'm a grandparent, and my family's intact, etc." And she goes, oh, my friend Ruth, and I don't know who Ruth is, and she goes, she needs all of your, and she starts taking <laughs> all of our flyers and everything, and I thought, well, that's great, yeah. because that's the best thing. She'll go in. It's better almost that she talks she to her friend right. than if I call Ruth and go, hi, I'm from Greenlight Family Services. Yeah. I do X, Y, Z. And she and already this woman has called us. Wow. And that was through her because she felt comfortable with what we did and knew that we could help her. Yeah, yeah. That's so it's just great. what I see for the future is moving on and just doing more and more of what we do yeah yeah well i certainly hope that you get to expand and grow the programs and um and that people who need the resource are able to come and get it as you said ideally no one would need it because um 
adoptions that happen would just happen very easily and very, uh, you know, people would know what to do. But uh, the reality is that people are always going to need the service, and yeah. so it's good that you're there. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for sharing. Um, I want to thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bridging Chicago Podcast Extras. Um, you can find us at www.bridgingchicago.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Bridging Chicago. And you can come on and to our website and find ways to connect with Greenlight Family Services. Um, okay, go ahead and stop that recording. Um, Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceedings.